The Broken Clock Podcast returns, and this week we are discussing what really is debate. Now, Mouse, I don't know about you, but I hear the word debate on the internet, and I immediately mm-hmm. go, because it's not really debate. It's a shit show of people talking as, at, past each other and are hurling for verbal abuse or written abuse at each other. And that is not actually debate. De- no, it sure isn't. Debate has a purpose and formal structures and a desired outcome. And we don't get any of these things normally when we see something described as debate. So mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the idea of debate, what it does, what it doesn't do, and what It really is. How can you make sure you're having a debate instead of these shit shows? (laughs) There's there's nothing else I can really describe it as. There was a period, I guess, 2016, 2017, where I was getting a lot of debate me. You're afraid to debate me. Oh, God. uh, I am not afraid to debate you. It's what you do isn't debate. There's no exchange of ideas. There's no, uh, there is, there is no, um, well, I guess technically, if we're going to break it down and, and, and go Greek, like, like we tend to of late, internet debates are all pathos, no ethos or logos, and, and no always logos. at the wrong Kairos, right? <laughs> it's not the right time. It's not the right place. Um, it's all based on emotion. There's people think they're putting in logical appeals, but they're really not. And no, not really. The the big problem to me on internet debates is that ethos portion that it's two people who don't really seem to respect the character of the other. You know what I mean? Like yes. It's uh, Ben Shapiro fighting somebody from the left or Alex Jones fight the Young Turks or something like that. And the idea is not that the other side is wrong. The idea is that the other side is evil and you can't have an effective debate when you have no good faith. Very much so. Why are you? But this is, of course, the question. If someone is evil, why, or you say that someone is evil, yeah. why are you bothering to even debate with them? To show how virtuous you are. Exactly. Right. That's the whole point. That's why I say it's all, it's all pathos. It's all emotional appeals. It's all basically uh, virtue signaling or, or, or morale boosting your audience, which isn't the same. They, the trouble in debates is a huge number of people now are not persuadable. And so it ends up being upping the enthusiasm of the people who already agree with you instead of actually trying to persuade. Mm-hmm. And there's two very different tactics involved there. The way you construct an argument attempting to persuade someone is not the same argument you construct to try to remind people who are already convinced that they are right. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
And people have become so, I'm trying to figure out how to word this again, not, not to offend people I'm trying to persuade here. Uh, people have become so used to shopping around for opinions that make them feel good as opposed to opinions that seem to know what they're talking about. Um, that the, the idea of being persuadable is a lost art. People, I, I joke, and there's a degree of truth in this, I think that the whole, you're perfect just the way you are generation led to a bunch of adults that need to constantly be told they're perfect or they have sky high level of anxiety and feel like they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's led to a, an environment where people, you know, don't make sure the person that sounds good, it sounds like they're saying the right things, know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, and even the people who should have a clue based on their credentials, then it becomes a question of, are they showing signs that they actually do know Understand. what they're talking about? It, it seems like formal debate now is, is instead of it being a combination of logos, ethos, pathos, and kairos, it's pick one, you know? Like take any debate. What happens every time there's a, a, a mass shooting in, in the US? The Democrats go, this is finally it. You know, people can't be hurt anymore, pathos. And mm-hmm. the, the Republicans do a combination of pathos and kairos. If this isn't the right time, people are in mourning. And that's it. It never gets to any sort of appeal to reason. Uh-huh. And I don't know about you, Mouse, but I think with all, there are a lot of people out there who really very much desperately need to believe that they are logical people but the examples of the people that they emulate are not logical people at all no and i i tend to i'm i'm going to be a bit controversial here maybe very controversial i i tend to go back to the origin of this at least the acceleration of this um to the elevation of christopher hitchens as a critical thinker people are like what he was amazing and all that stuff and i no, like, he wasn't he he was a very he was very good at rhetoric but a lot of his stuff was not was not truly logic it was not internally consistent and clear opinions he was a gadfly and a contrarian who used a lot of emotional appeals the idea of the hitch slap Every single one of those were emotional appeals. He was being a bully mm-hmm. and rewarded for it, right? That that exactly. kind of commentary has no place in a debate with rules. Of course, those things he was a part of, they started off as debates with rules, but more and more they became sort of those, remember when, I, maybe it still is, but when uh, professional wrestling, WWE wrestling, back when it was WWF, just had oh to God. had a Saturday afternoon show and it was never like a wrestler you wanted to see versus a wrestler you want to see. There was the wrestler you wanted to see. And then some guy put in the ring just to take a beating. 
<laughs> that's what those Christopher Hitchens appearances more and more uh, became. He showed no respect for the person he was, quote unquote, debating. And the, the person he was debating was some, you know, religious official who was was very probably learned in terms of, you know, education, but not really prepared to discuss anything with a non-believer. And ever since then, ever since that whole um, style and the books that, that they were, you know, designed to sell, let's face it, Christopher Hitchens went out and did his whole thing to sell books. Right. Uh, I thought that Hitchens decline from cancer um, as an avowed atheist, completely preventable. He shortened his own life with what was it? Cigarettes and alcohol, I think, were his vices. Yes. Um, his decline was his drinking became a problem. Yes. Um, he clearly was not in control and he, he appeared in public, mm -hmm. um, clearly blasted. Um, and it was when he was at his most, um, um, how can I say this? It was when he was rip roaring drunk or pretty close to it that he was at his most um, vitriolic. Caustic, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then he wrote, he basically chronicled his own, you know, dying. And chronicling his own death is not possible because <laughs> obviously, but this- You're not the, there for the final part. Yeah, and the thing that I always struggled with with Hitchens is how do I accept the credibility or the trustworthiness of a guy who is an avowed atheist. He believes there is nothing after this life and has said so very loudly. And so he shortens the length of this life and reduces the quality of this life with, you know, over the top consumption of cigarettes and alcohol. How, how do I trust the logic of someone like that? but to his fans that didn't matter that that showed he was hardcore right logic whew, logos what what eternal consistency data to support claims didn't need it they liked him it was all it was all that character but not in the way the greeks intended right it was just oh this guy it, it was it was owning the libs before there was owning the libs um and you see that over and over and over again with these personalities now on the right and the left that have sort of internet infamy. Mm -hmm. If you actually pay attention to what they're saying, it's garbage. <laughs> well, yeah. But it's the right, it's the right person making the statement as far as they're concerned. And so with notable few exceptions, um, they there is no requirement that people you agree with make sense anymore and that really concerns me because in order for us to make good decisions we need people that uh the public can trust to know stuff they don't 
And if people are just shopping around for an opinion they agree with, doesn't matter who says it, that's a real problem to getting to there. And, and to me, I'm going to start in a fairly contentious spot, but I was like, I know that, you know, you're, you're raring to go on the topic of uh, vaccines and anti-vaxxers and vaccine hesitancy. Note, note, I did not use anti-vaxxers and vaccine hesitancy interchangeably. Uh, But right now we have a vaccine vaccination rate in Canada sitting at above 80%. 80% of the eligible population is 82 in some places. It's more 82% Ontario. Uh, in the U.S., it's something like 54% nationally. 54% and the U.S. got started first. Mm-hmm. So what we are looking at is a country with some of the greatest educational institutions in the world. The most, or should I say the most highly renowned Let's say, yeah, because we have a country with some of the most highly renowned educational yeah. institutions in the world, while also possessing one of the worst educational systems in the world. The public education system, uh-huh. yes. Uh, and, and you have a, a population that I can't, I can no longer say that they are more educated than ever because high school graduation rates have dropped to to some extent but there are more there are more college educated people in the u.s uh, than ever before and we see another another extremes example so we've got some people falling very much behind other people going very much forward but the people who hold these debates in public they're college educated they're usually very good schools i mean i don't think you're i don't think you're allowed to step on to a news set in America anymore on a, a national news set without some sort of hoity-toity top college degree, which I think is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But there's all this knowledge and yet the arguments are clearly terrible because they're failing to persuade people of actual facts that vaccines work and are for the most part safe uh and you will not die if you take the covid vaccine you know it, it's uh they're finding here that you're 10 percent, you're 10 times more likely to get covid if you're not vaccinated you are 36 times more likely to die from COVID if you're not vaccinated. 36 times more likely to die. And yet people still aren't getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, part of this is people are just not seeking out this information. They're getting information from their pre-established social networks, meaning their consumption of media is entirely passive. They don't look stuff up. And the stuff they're getting is, you know, not about the effectiveness of this vaccine and how thoroughly it was tested and, you know, why they managed to get it out so quickly, but you can still rely on it. All that information's out there, but what they're seeing is stuff about, you know, 5G nanites and infertility. Well, that not only just that, you also have, um, you also have 
a very, very large chunk, which is disconcerting, but we know it's been there, of hyper-religious um, communities hmm. that mistrust science, um, mistrust the government, um, and, and I don't, I am not one of those people who say you need to trust the government 100% of the, you know, 100%. Yeah, I, you I always have to hurt. Yeah. But uh, in this case, this is absolutely ridiculous. But we, we have people who are more willing to believe the words of their pastors, um, including the, the ones who die from COVID. Uh, <laughs> um, you make a valid point. And there is obviously more of that evangelical movement down in the u.s but unfortunately the i have friends who are evangelical pastors up here they're vaccinated you know we, we were out with them last week at the toy show and he had his proof of vaccination all you know all ready to go they they got vaccinated so there's obviously something about Oh yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, there's, there's a difference because the evangelical movement in the United States uh, has always had a tendency to goose step. Okay. They are white nationalism and Christian supremacy have always been tied to these movements. It has it has been one of the breeding grounds and kind of the refuge of that part of America, but you know, the, the Baptists, evangelicals, you, there, it is not an accident that the largest breeding grounds for this type of ideology happens to be in the South where these movements are at mo the most, where these churches have the deepest roots and they're the most popular. Um, and so you, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting and bizarre cocktail of uh, jingoism, white nationalism, uh, which is tied with uh, Christ, uh, um, Christian nationalist supremacy um, and kind of the revisionist history, the whole thing of, you know, the, the uh, Civil War was the war of Northern aggression. Oh, the, the, because, the noble lost cause, yeah. Well, yes, the whole, of course, it's always, oh, you know, it, it, we, we were fighting for the, uh, the uh, <laughs> for um, state rights and you always have to ask, you know, okay, so this, the right to what? Because there's that yeah. little point of contention of, you know, what were they fighting the right to have? Own um, people. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. um, that, that's, that's what it comes to at the very end. Um, it, 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 it's absolutely amazing, but you already have, you, you have generation after generation after generation of people who have gone to these churches, have heard this drivel, has, it has been drilled into them, into their subconscious. Even people who, I have I've seen this, even people who walk away from the movement, they still have psychological trauma. Yes, they do. They struggle with for, for, for years, if not decades. Yeah. It, it, is a, it is a holy mind worm that gets inserted into you like the wrath of Khan, exactly. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's examine that. Let's debate this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, because I always, I struggle with the American evangelical movement because of the logic faults within it. And uh, are we arguing, are we debating right now whether it is a the disease itself or whether we are arguing that it is a, a symptom 
of a larger disease within America. What's our be it resolved here? That's a good question. Yeah, that's where I start. And that that is a very important question. I would my my the thought the, the point that I think I want to make on this end is that there is a tendency evangelical movements and um, extreme Christian nationalist movements mm -hmm. and whatever uh, and Baptist movements are only a concrete manifestation of a far more insidious um, abstract tendency. It just so happens that it is very convenient because these movements combine authoritarianism mm -hmm. with the, pro the promise of comfort which is of course the, the comfort that religion um, offers, mm -hmm. as well as when used under us with certain political narratives and certain social narratives, you know, the, the heavenly reward afterwards as well. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that is kind of a perfect storm for these things. The deeper part, the deeper, deeper issue is that take a hit, something that Ayn Rand pointed out, reason is not automatic. Unfortunately, it is volitional. And, and there is something, and I'm not entirely sure exactly where it comes from, within the American experience or the American psyche or psychosis that makes the irrational and the collectivism very appealing. See, that part uh, doesn't surprise me because of the myths mm -hmm. of the founding of America. The myth-making. So it sounds here what you're arguing is that there's sort of a symptom and treatment issue. The core disease is something deeper. The minute you say there's yes. a deeper thing here, you're not arguing that uh, US evangelical tradition is, is the disease itself. What right. you're arguing, yeah you're arguing more that it is a treatment that's actually making the patient sicker, something that mm -hmm. is formerly called a reinforcing spirals model. Yes. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it's interesting. See, there was an example of a, a brief debate there where I clarified the question and allowed you to more specify what you were trying to say that mm -hmm. isn't what you see in interviews now you, you no. don't see that in in political anything anymore except for Ari Melber I give Ari Melber on MSNBC real credit he uses that device quite a bit used to be a lawyer clearly a very good trial lawyer in terms <laughs> of uh, interviewing interviewing witnesses or examining witnesses you um, notice that you notice when Ari talks, you can almost see the desire to put the hands in the lapel. Uh, yeah, or sometimes <laughs> the guy's throat. The more Ari yeah. Melber is smiling, <laughs> the more he's like, "Well, then, tell me more." We just hit the crazy chain. Um, <laughs> and reinforcing spirals is something that's very, very interesting to me. There's, um, I, I dealt with this on Boss Fight, the idea of of, of social comparisons. Um, you know, reinforcing spirals and then, you know, operant conditioning, which we can kind of go, that doesn't really actually work in, in, in real life. The thing they tried to argue about media, but that this combination of upward social comparisons 
and reinforcing spirals is a very interesting one, especially how it works in the US. And I think this is part of the reason that debates fail because you cannot have a debate about ideas if a person is in a deep state of you ain't better than me. You know what I mean? You're not yes. better than me. You think you're better than me. You're not better than me. That's not talking about ideas anymore. That's talking about identity. Mm-hmm. And you cannot have a debate on ideas if someone is still at that uh, insecure identity stage. It's just not possible. That kind of reminds me, oh God, I can't believe I'm actually mentioning this. Um, <laughs> this puts me in mind of a joke by Judy Tenuta. Um, okay. Whom I, I don't know if people know who she is. Um, she was kind of big in the 90s and early 2000s. She's a bit of a crass, very, very crass, but she could be wickedly funny. Mm-hmm. But she had this moment where she was talking about sororities and fraternities. And she said, you know, I, I, I could have been in a sorority. I could have, I could have too. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't yeah. let me in because I already had a personality. Yeah. Um, and that kind of reminds me of, because she made, she made the point later on. She said, well, you know, the whole point of that joke was that you really should try to get a personality before you join a fraternity or a sorority, because then that becomes your entire identity. Which is what tends to happen in various systems in America, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. a big, it's a big difference between Canada and the U.S. among the highly educated. In Canada, the focus is more on what is your degree in? So are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Are you an MBA? You know, so on and so forth. Um, Whereas in the U.S., it's what school did you go to? Yes. And those are very, very different focuses. And I find even, you know, most people who are going to these elite schools, they're going to uh, prep schools. They're They're going going to get their schools. Yeah. Yeah. With names as Mm -hmm. opposed to PS 183. The fact that public schools don't even have names in in certain parts of the U.S. And this is where I think I maintain this is the beginning of identity driven thinking. Mm-hmm. I am here, therefore I'm good. I went yeah. here, therefore I am good. My identity is based on these collectives that I was a part of, not necessarily because the kid themselves earned it. It was because their parents had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you see that kind of perpetuated in things outside. Um, this is something I've noticed inter- very, very much the American um, propensity to deeply identify with things that don't really matter. Yes. Um, you know, the, 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 for example, and this is something that happens in Ecuador too, one of the reasons I hated Ecuador, um, the sports fanaticism. Yes. Where you, had, where you basically be like being a fan of this particular team or another, I can't remember. And like the Denver Broncos, there we go. Yeah kind of becomes a huge part of your identity. Um, but, you know, but then it also goes into fandom. You know, the, yeah. um, the people in Comicsgate who are deeply invested in the fact that, oh my gosh, there, you know, there, there are stories that are featuring gay and lesbian and transgender people and people of color. That's forced diversity. The only way you can see forced, 
other people existing as force diversity is is that the entire universe has become nothing more than a proxy for how you want to be See, there's yeah there's an example where i this may sound strange give me a moment i agree with your <laughs> point i can see theirs now there's a big difference with me at least in agreeing with your point and seeing theirs there right. there is this element of conspiratorial thinking on the these online movements that to be clear i don't think make them bad people i think it produces really bad ideas i can make them out like crazy people <laughs> well well conspiracies like to come out and we're seeing this all over the place right and i i think this roots back to you're not better than me again mm -hmm. because what what is the emotional driver right what is the pathos at the core of this that comics and I preface this by saying that I was a reader of comic books in the 1990s when the spec market oh, was thing. massive. <laughs> yes, I did not know how bad they were. So when I say that 1990s comics were terrible, I am a survivor of the feral Wolverine period. It was oh, not gosh. all bad. It also gave us some wonderful DC Elseworlds and, um, uh, you know, things like No Man's Land, though No Man's Land kind of ruined Batman for a while, but I'm going down yeah. a rabbit hole. Here, right? <laughs> um, that's the problem with DC Comics is every great story creates mm -hmm. about a decade of shit stories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of Watchmen being um, an inspiration for everybody to come up with their own really original takes on things. No, everybody writes Watchmen, right? Everybody right. writes Dark Knight. If No Man's Land does super well, oh no, people love Grimdark and we have so, so very much Grimdark. So mm. everywhere, Superman should not be scowling. You know, it just, anyway. The, but, the, Titan, the Titans shouldn't be happy murder teams. <laughs> right, but we have this cycle right in comic books and politics all that stuff that when people came into this thing that perhaps was not very good it gave them a sense of comfort it gave them a sense of belonging and i think we all because uh, you know on the other side people came into superhero comics who were different it's what i liked about x-men you know, I thought Beast was the coolest fucking thing I'd ever seen. There's a super intelligent guy who read, you know, Milton while hanging upside down with little spectacle glasses. That takes work. Uh, and Nightcrawler. Well, another one who he's charming. He's a performer, but all people can see is blue. And, um, you know, he's blue. His, and to me, that just made me you know think well if somebody's blue that's really cool you know yeah. blue became... we've talked about this we've yeah. talked about this our, our our unusual love of unusual colors yeah well that's because they were always the coolest freaking characters right if a comic book character yeah. is blue or green they are usually cool as shit yeah. uh because they're, they're also known as the gamora principle right they're a symbol of somebody who is different i mean gamora mm -hmm. i guess it's it's different when they do it as a female character because oh god female nerds in comics what no and this <laughs> this is part of an, the issue there are certain weaknesses in this media those of us with 
an identity not wholly formed based on what we consume can go, wow, those parts of the things we liked were great. Those other parts, not necessarily so good, you know, where we, we can take the good with the bad, whereas people in this, what I consume is my identity. They have not come out of that you did a bad thing is you are a bad thing phase. Uh-huh. That is a phase of development that gets stunted by childhood trauma. And, you know, let's face it, these places, you know, where the evangelical movement is thriving are also places with a lot of relative poverty. Um, and, abuse that was covered up generationally. I mean, we're starting to see some changes in the Catholic church, but the Catholic church has a centralized structure that is accountable. Mm -hmm. These little evangelical Protestant churches don't have the same centralization. So trying to clean up the abuse of children and spouses and so on, and that movement is going to be very difficult because it's so decentralized. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who were abused by people in positions of moral authority and then were basically told it didn't happen. How dare you say such lies by their own parents who were afraid of being ostracized by these systems. Mm-hmm. So you have people with a, a unformed, not just poorly formed, but an unformed sense of self set it put in a series of reinforcing spirals and social comparisons designed to prevent them from forming that self and that's why the people who come out of these highly religious movements seem like such damaged goods they're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out who they are in their 30s and 40s and I, i was i was talking to my husband about this the other day that you know this intense pressure going back to the school system you know, this intense pressure on 14 and 15 year olds to figure out what they're going to do with their whole lives and, you know, what they're going to go to college for and what they're going to be. And a 14, 15, 16 year old is still figuring out who the hell they are and what they wanted of life. They, they, you mm-hmm. got to do that before you figure out what school and what program you're going to go into to get that. What, yes. what they're making teenagers do nowadays is insane And then they wonder why young adults are so riddled with anxiety, you know, um, and and terrified of making a a mistake. And we basically identified the two main portions of the debate right now, otherwise known as the culture war, right? We've got Mm -hmm. a group of young adults and and teenagers, I'll say, with a, a, a profoundly unstable sense of self raised in two very different sets of cloistered environments, right? One is the, the um, we'll say the nationalist evangelical movement mm-hmm. for, for lack of a better term. Uh, and, but then you've got this, this other collectivist thing with the 42 different pronouns and the terminologies that change all the time and the the insistence of using Latinx 
even though only 3% of Latinos self-identify as Latinx. And mm-hmm. that utter stupidity and ob- I'll call obnoxiousness. When you are trying to force a term on a group that doesn't want it, that's obnoxious, right? That's, those are signs that something is deeply, deeply wrong. But both of these groups have been convinced that the other, their, their counterpart on the other side is not just wrong, but evil. The truth is that if you look at these groups structurally, they're not that different. No, they're not. Right? They're, they're, the, the, the elite liberal academia and the evangelical church in the U.S., sorry, nationalist evangelicalism, I won't say church because I don't think it has anything to do with the friggin' older New Testament. I am aware of those books. I'm not seeing it there. But the problem is they're too much alike. And they really, th- they think they're battling each other. But nobody is going to come out on top because it's, you know, the, the wonderful metaphor in the Assassin's Creed games. You need advocates of order. You need advocates of, of freedom, right? You can't completely get rid of one. And so any, any path of mutually assured destruction is only going to get you further away from your goal. And this is why we can't have proper, useful, functional debates now, because the entire structure is now being used not in its intended purpose to to open people up to new ideas, but it's being used to reinforce the, the collectivist echo chambers that debate is designed to decrease. Right. The whole idea of debate mm-hmm. is to expose you to different ideas. And I think the, uh, you know, the, the shining example of that any of these, the weird thing is that we've we've identified that identity is an issue. Oh, that's a terrible sentence. Um, <laughs> an issue with all of this stuff. And so it might not be, as you mentioned with the whole comics gate thing might not be that big a surprise that both sides tend to go absolutely batshit bonkers regarding issues of identity. You know, when they make a character not something or, you know, they, I, I have had an issue with these legacy characters from the beginning, but my reasoning isn't what the common thing is, is it's forced diversity. I don't really care if it's forced diversity because previously it was forced lack of diversity. Yeah. Forced homo- homo- homogeneity. Yeah. Homo- it, my words know. are failing me, Leanna. Help me. Yeah, yeah. Homo- we're, we're not awake yet. <laughs> we're not singing Hamaji, yet. Hamajiji. Hamajiji. There we go. Homogeneity. I just watched the zombie episode of Doom Patrol last night. So I would be very happy to speak like because zombie voices are the funnest thing in the world to do uh but you know i'm not this is where people don't know their history and they don't know that one of the things the comics code did was prevent 
people of color from really taking front and center uh, because the Comics Code Authority, uh, it was about, oh, we can't cause offense, right? And so there, there were some, there were some greatest hits in that era that I won't, I won't go into, but <laughs> yes, there are an abnormally large amount of white men in all media. And there are reasons for that. Does that mean white men are evil? No. And, and, and no one should be made to feel like they're evil just because of how they happen to be born. Right. Um, we have an issue right now where I call it the Hamilton paradox. Uh, Hamilton in its interest towards diversity created a character for a white man mm-hmm. who is way overrepresented in musical theater, but left no space for white women. And this is one of those things that Lin-Manuel Miranda projects tend to do. It's just like in the Heights kind of left out black Hispanics. Mm-hmm. And this is not a criticism of him. I think he should keep go- doing his thing. It's just when you try to do these things based on we're going to represent a group, you are not going to be able to completely represent any group. Groups are just way too diverse. There are too many damn mm-hmm. characters to include, right? So no matter what you create, somebody's going to be left out. Because in a core roster of four to six characters, there are too many racial and gender identities and, and um, you know, uh, sexual orientations to not leave somebody out. So you've got the one side of the whole comics gate thing or whatever. I mean, p- pick, your, pick your genre, right? TV shows, people freaking out about Star Wars and He-Man, like gaming <laughs> oh, I think we're kind of coming out of that finally in gaming. Thank God. But we do have this trend right now where there are two colors that are acceptable in a video game, black and brown. And the your skin tones of your characters must fit a um, foundation makeup uh, released in the 1980s. So if you have some... <laughs> type of bronze or olive skin you are good everybody else too bad right because they're trying to just create these mixed race characters that don't really speak to anybody because they're speaking to everyone you know well, I, I i've tried like oh, with um boulder's gate when i because i love experimenting with mm-hmm. the character creators that's mm-hmm. always one of my favorite parts like i think i the the last full the latest fallout game i spent more time in the character creator than in the actual game um and i did notice that you know if you had a uh, you know skin tone close to mine before going pale because i went pale for some reason i don't mm-hmm. know why it was fine but then if you try to go you know you know base black skin it just doesn't look right oh and then you it, go yeah. for the and then you try to go for, you know, say I went, okay, there's just something wrong with the colors here. Um, the, the, and they don't get the specularity right either. Yeah. So you have, because one of the things I've noticed is, and this is because we've, you know, been working on designs on, on black characters. Yeah. And that's also something that you see in Hollywood. A lot of people don't look at how black skin reflects light. And you so, know what's weird? It reflects skin more similar. It reflects light more similarly to very light skin than mm-hmm. mid tones, and that's mm-hmm. why I became sensitized to it. Yeah, and so and then 
and if you'll see, you know, they don't they don't uh, reflect light well with black mm -hmm. uh, skin, and they don't reflect uh, light well with pale skin. Because mm -hmm. then when I created, I try. Okay, so I went. Okay, yeah, they, they've they're not they have not paid attention to this. I went and I tried to you know create a very pale. Um, and the character not, looks purple. And the character looks purple. Yeah. I was like, oh my yeah. god, someone you know, someone has hemophilia. I don't know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It it's this is this is what norms do, and with with a character creator like that, everybody should be able to represent themselves, and that means being able to make a character with you know large boobs and large butt that require that allows an overweight character and then they start going oh but the amount of design well that's fine you don't have to do that but if one of your selling points is a cool character creation tool your characters shouldn't look like shit i'm gonna say this saints row did it before any of them oh, yeah. and they still did it well <laughs> that's that's what pulled me into saints row was the ability to create a legitimately ugly character like deliberately you, yeah and you could create any character like yeah uh I rem I, ha I had a uh, I have a friend of mine. She's trans, but uh, you know her uh, her um, birth voice is a baritone, yeah, very deep baritone, yeah. And so for a long time, she was very uncomfortable with her voice um, because you know she couldn't she couldn't find ways to soften it. Yeah, uh, I did send her to study B. Arthur because female baritones exist yeah. they're a thing um and so you know she started feeling a lot more comfortable and actually it's kind of uh she says it's kind of funny because she started adopting a lot of b arthur's vocal mannerisms because it, you know, it, she said it helped her feel you know that she was being feminine because it was b arthur doing it and mm -hmm. um but then but for a long time she had her main character in Saints Row as a woman, but she gave her that baritonal deep voice because she said, you know, that, that play experience kind of normalized it for her. Yeah, the, uh, the it, voices were untethered to the character's mm -hmm. gender, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I find the gender freaking out in video games especially stupid because usually in video games, we don't see a character's genitalia. So just yeah. let people have the experience they want to have, please. Yeah. I mean, I think Cyberpunk showed that, yeah, okay, nice that you can actually customize genitalia. And you then it clips for the clothing. On, well, you, you didn't focus on the rest of the fucking game. I still, I still give them credit for making that attempt, but... It, it, that 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 was trying to hit the broad side of a barn door with cool shit that game there's an example <laughs> if you don't define cool you're gonna get a mess uh, but i mean i think that the the issue the the issues that come up now the, the thing i find so frustrating about the whole culture war thing is that these problems are solvable because what the problem really is is determining reasonable societal um accommodation for people who are atypical we know how to do this there's just a mm -hmm. bunch of people that don't want to accommodate people who are different and mm -hmm. that's what's at the core and yeah. these are the people that are driving the so-called debate right now and 
this is why we can't get things done. I mean, the nonsense going on in the U.S. government right now of we don't want to pass one bill for 550 billion because then you won't let us pass a bill for 335 trillion dollars. Guys, they're not going to let you pass that bill anyway. So pass what you can pass and then go back to the drawing board on compromise. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to you're this whole th- th- what they're doing is the equivalent of a bunch of children holding their breath. And again, I can understand why they are doing it. I understand their reasons. They're good reasons. But when you actually think about it, is this are they truly prepared to lose five hundred and fifty billion dollars in infrastructure spending? Are they prepared to lose that? If they're not, they're 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 playing chicken with the budget of the U.S. of the future of the U.S. This is not a binary thing where you know say either same-sex marriage is legal or it's not right whether trans people can use the bathroom of their choice or they can't those are binaries but this we want it all or nothing when it comes to economic stuff it's 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 dangerous it's dangerous because they're fighting like crazy over this look what happened with police reform you know they took a very hard line stance on police reform and ended up with nothing Voter protection bill seems like it's going to be the same thing. That's not the way the U.S. government was designed to work. The problem is that the U.S. is in a cycle of perpetual campaigning. Mm-hmm. These, this, you know, it's funny that people complain that, oh, Canada went to an election with a minority government after 18 months. Well, that's pretty much what the U.S. does all the time with Congress. It's a two-year cycle. Right. Midterms tend to chip away at at a government's ability to ram their agenda through. And so this is the issue is that you've got these two forces, these two extremes in American politics who drive the debate. They don't necessarily drive voting intentions, but they do drive the debate. Right. And so if a politician goes on Twitter, they turn on the news echo chambers, they're going to see two extremes, one of which, you know, vaccines are terrible, no good, very bad, and masks are no good, very bad, even though Fox News probably has a vaccine mm. mandate and apparently people wear masks all through the building. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that, that came out. Um, everybody was, yeah. Yeah, there was a photo that everybody was masked in the Fox News newsroom. But then you've got the other side where, you know, the minute you use a word, people find offensive, you're evil. And then there's, you know, the the wait, what do you mean biological sex isn't real? That what moment people have, they're excommunicated for that instead of educated, they're excommunicated for that. And I don't like that impulse. To me, it looks to me, it looks too much like that nationalist evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. It looks too much like the stuff because 
I don't know if you've seen the uh, the data mouse about who's not getting vaccinated. It's at least up here. It's younger, more liberal people who are into like vitamins and alternative medicine. And th these aren't, you know, these aren't the stereotypical Bible thumpers. They're people interested in health, but it tends to be an appearance driven, uh, appearance driven type of health. So they're not that, you know, that church going impoverished type. They're urban. They're, you know, they say they, they tend to vote liberal. Um, it's apparently white women in the suburbs interested in what they put in their bodies who tend to vote liberal. So they're a fairly moderate voter who are the largest chunk of the vaccine hesitant. Now it's hardly a majority by any means, but these are people who have been persuaded by quote unquote, the debate on Facebook about the vaccines. And I want to take a little bit of time on this because th this is why I think it's important to talk about what debate does. Because these are people who don't turn on the news, not because they don't trust it, it's because they find it depressing. It's usually some shooter or some horrible thing in the world and they don't want to be sad. That's fair, right? Uh, they don't seek out political opinion because that's unpleasant. So they get their information from other people on Facebook, which means any pollution on Facebook is going to impact these people. You know what I'm saying? They're low information yeah. consumers. This is the, um, well, I, I just, I just realized that most of them would also kind of go, why did you do that? If someone were to take, say, financial advice from the same sources. Oh, I know people who do, though. There's there, you know, there's online. Uh, what is it? The Motley Fool and places oh, like that. I mean, if you're getting the same tips everybody else is. But yeah, the, I mean, the, these people don't they these are people. This is just a theory of mine. They're, they love heuristics. They are the cult of heuristics. The fewer decisions they have to actively make, the better. These are people that get choice paralysis if you offer them more than three colors of something, right? I have members like this in my own family. It drives, they, they hum and a and oh, what if? And they end, up, they end up having other people make their decisions. The decisions for them. And they're just fine with that because no decision means no responsibility. And so with people like this, any choice means you're accountable. Any accountability means you might be wrong. Being wrong may mean someone doesn't like you. Someone not liking you is death. That's the thinking here. And so these are people who want to say the right things. And in their little circle of things, it seems like the right thing is, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait 
to see about this vaccine. I'm concerned about fertility. I'm concerned about the impact, you know, this, that, the next, the whole fertility argument. I'm like, are you serious? But yes, they are because they have not been given the counter argument with, um, oh, by the way, do you know what COVID does to your body? Do you know what COVID yeah. does with your, in a, with your ability to be healthy enough to carry a child someday? You know, and, and, and these people concerned about fertility, they're of childbearing age. Uh, in this day and age, I think fertility is one of the dumbest ass things to be concerned about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I have a friend who is working on her doctorate yeah. uh, to become a um, uh, vo- for crying out loud, a speech pathologist, mm-hmm. a speech therapist. Uh, and one of her practicums involved her going to medical centers for people who had had COVID mm-hmm. and were in recovery. And so we're, she's talking about people who are 20, 20, 20 yeah. 30 year olds who are going, who are, have to relearn how to swallow. Yep. Uh, and in many cases uh, who have to end up in um, sustained care facilities because yep. they can't, uh, they can't live yep. uh, by themselves after the ravages of, of the disease. But you know, fertility. But you know, fertility. Fertility, because that's, I, I'm it's not- a, uh, it's okay if I end up in a portable ventilator as long as I can pop out a unit. <laughs> I I find the whole fertility thing somewhat narcissistic with the lack of foster parents yeah. out there. You know, uh, if if Pete and Chastin Buttigieg can become parents, don't worry about your fucking fertility, okay, people? Exactly. Um, I mean, the- unless unless you happen to be, oh, I don't know, Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. Even then, even then, because Beethoven did not care very much about his own family because he came from trash uh, and by his own admittance. He had, he invented a whole different family. Yeah. That's where the whole Vaughn, when he tried to pass, pass off the Vaughn thing because yes. you know, his father was a, an abusive drunk. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, genetics are not everything. Yeah. But, you know, these are, these are people who have made a choice. They have been persuaded by junk. Now, you have to keep in mind that the, what did, what did I say? The nor the real driver of these people's decisions are mm-hmm. people won't like them. It's a very collectivist sentiment. And these are the things that you have to keep in mind of when you're, when you're trying to talk to somebody like this, I, I have managed to persuade a handful of people who are vaccine hesitant. Um, and it was really simple stuff. Uh, just uh, the sort of thing of, I would like to see you. I don't want to meet up with you until you're fully vaccinated because it's Canada. The weather's getting cold. I would feel terrible if you died. You know, I would never be able to forgive myself if I met up with you and you got COVID at some cafe and died. I, I couldn't manage that. That seems to be something that works. These aren't people that are really persuaded by facts because they don't understand them. They, they will get one fact and then they'll get another fact and the one fact will conflict with the other fact and they don't really check to see which facts are actually facts. They just, they, they want the decision made for them. And that's where the, the pathos, the appeals to emotion come in that 
I, I we've been very careful on this podcast from the beginning not to uh, not to reject the role of emotion in critical decision making. And this is an example where I think um, the performative rejection of feels in in the public square has made people afraid to admit they have them, right? They don't say, I'm scared, I'm worried, I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to get sick. They start, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the bullshit blather, right? It's the Ben Shapiro impersonation. Mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro is one of the most emotional reasoners I have ever listened to. See okay. also Jordan Peterson, incredibly emotional uh, reasoning. The guy's a Jungian for God's sakes, but these guys are held up as thinkers, <laughs> right? And, and you know what? There's no, nothing wrong with being an emotional reasoner. Some days I wish I could be an emotional reasoner so I can understand the average person a little bit better. But for some odd reason, people want to give themselves the layer the, the label of logician layer of logical thinking and not have that, that emotional thing. And personally, I just think it's cowardice. I know that's, that's a big thing, but people are afraid to feel because feelings are scary. You can't tightly control feelings. You know, we did four weeks on the Stoics for a reason, mm-hmm. but we have got to get past this lip service to logic because the reality is that's not where most people are running right now and why aren't they well ironically it's science people are scared people are worn out people have been living on pause for about two years now because of covid people are in emotional space we can't do anything about that and so that's why a real examination, a real debate on the vaccine thing, not this factional warfare that has replaced debate. It's needed. So people can make informed decisions and can really, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But we're not even leading the horse to water right now. You know, it's it's either a, a 30 second PSA telling people to get their vaccine or it's the insanity on the Internet. And I guess people believe in sanity on the Internet because, you know, someone they know shared it. So they think it's they think it's more trustworthy in that regard, which is an interesting emotional decision-making process. I don't necessarily believe something's more trustworthy because it comes from someone I know. <laughs> well, there's, there's the other thing. That is also an appeal to collectivism because- Of course. It is part of the tribe, you know, the tribe, your family, your friends or whatever are sharing this. Now, the, behind this, and I'm not talking about this as a, some sort of dark conspiracy, but we have to be aware that there are people who are very, very invested yes. in keeping a whole bunch of people afraid because fear translates into votes when you promise to take that fear away or the cause of that fear away. Well, I mean, it's also who's giving, which companies are providing money to guys like Alex Jones and Joe Rogan? supplement Mm -hmm. companies 
this quack medicine industry. So they, they want people to distrust conventional medicine. They want people to do this alternative stuff, these supplements and all that stuff, because that's their industry. They're quite happy for Alex Jones and company to be spewing this garbage because okay, you're going to piss off a lot of people, but you'll get that 3% conversion for people who will buy your snake oil. Yep. Now I get that most people don't have either the stomach or the time to deep dive into this stuff. I wish I didn't have to do it, but I do think it's important. I do think it's, I think we have to keep the blame where it lies on this stuff. And we do need to, we do need to recognize that we cannot have debates in a world where being, remember I said people are afraid of making a decision because a decision means you might be wrong and being wrong is death. Mm-hmm. You can't have debates in a society where that's the case. And that is the society we live in right now. You know, I don't, I don't know if you saw the story a while back that uh, Liz Cheney said that she was wrong on gay marriage. That she, you know, her, her previous decision or previous vote on it is, is abhorrent to her. Mm-hmm. And of course, what happened, not, hey, little late, but, you know, it was this pouring on of hot takes about how Liz Cheney is not to be trusted. This isn't a true change of mind. It, it is the, I found this with uh, so-called men's rights activists. Anybody on the quote unquote other side who seems reasonable is not someone you can work with. It's someone you have to scorched earth because they are dangerous. And I found that response fascinating. Doesn't make any real sense. It's counterproductive, but it's very, very real. These, these causes have an element. You know what I mean? You know what I mean when I say a motherhood cause? No, a uh, an issue that is so large, you can seem like a good person for wanting to do something about it, but you don't really have to show many results because people see the problem is too big to actually fix. So the the ultimate motherhood cause is sort of starving children in Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can send as much aid to parts of Africa as possible without major socioeconomic changes to that part of the world, you're not solving much. So celebrities can go, oh, I built a school in Africa. Why don't you do something about parts of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama? Why don't you, you're Americans. Why don't you do something? Oh, because that you might be able to solve. That's the mm-hmm. idea of a motherhood cause. And these, you know, the the really, really uh, vehement progressives. They are in the same boat. They take swings so big, they know nobody's going to agree to just stopping all coal right now. Damn, damn things as they may, right? Uh, the, the right with, I, I really think the right in government, the political right is a bit of a dog who caught the car right now because it's like, okay, you've now got, a chance to overturn abortion legislation. You notice that they've suddenly gone kind of quiet. Mm -hmm. They're continuing to fight it in court, 
but they've gotten kind of quiet because now what do they use to suck money out of out of the people that give them money people when they get what they want tend to withdraw from politics they don't become more engaged which i find a very interesting backfire effect so what's going to rile them up now well critical race theory right that's the new boogeyman okay we've we've stomped on women now we have to go after black people preferably black women hey we have a winning cause here and yeah. trans women and 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 it's all immigrants more- i forget to make immigrants especially immigrant women immigrant women because yeah. they bring babies it's it's always yeah. more vehement on the, the 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 women of these uh of of these movements because you can attack them without really attacking them you can say oh no we're going after the abortion doctor we're going after the coyote who's bringing you over mm-hmm. here you know we're we're uh, women, cisgendered women need to feel comfortable in bathrooms so they can sidestep the direct attack. It's really insidious. But yeah, I think it's interesting how quiet the right has gone. And I think in part that's because they're just, well, the Democrats are going to ass it up. Just let them, you know, I mean, Lindsey Graham popped up this week, but that's what Lindsey Graham does. Yeah. Right. Lindsey Graham is all about a, cre- a quest for relevance. But girlfriend it, need girlfriend needs to get a hobby. Yeah. Well, girlfriend has a hobby. It involves boyfriends. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. Uh, allegedly. Uh, th- that's, that's become the Richard Gear and the gerbil. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares, but everybody says it just, I guess, out of spite. Uh, but and it's, it's sort of tragic in its own way, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, to be honest, if it is indeed the case, I have no sympathy. Um, oh, I see, have I no don't sympathy. Use, I don't use tragedy as something that requires sympathy. Tragedy to me is something somebody brought on themselves. I use the traditional definition of tragedy. Tragedy. I'm talking about tragedy. That's yeah. PDQ Bach. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that old Greek version of tragedy where you had hubris. every, yeah, you had every ability to prevent this from happening yeah did it anyway there's a reason the tragedies were about the nobility no one felt sorry yes. for them nope so, except the except except when the gods meddled that's that's kind of well you know everything was going fine and then zeus got horny uh which is see, also 90 percent of greek myth <laughs> i i still think that or well yeah um i still think that that's a bit of ha suck it nobles you know yeah. you're not all powerful uh but that's sort of where we're at too right now. You've got two major groups of U.S. going, ha, suck it, nobles, when, when Zeus gets horny. Um, and unfortunately, we do not have an Aristophanes to put them both into perspective. <laughs> because Aristophanes couldn't get a book published now, couldn't get a no. play published. I mean, there's, there is some smart stuff starting to creep back to streaming television. You really got to search for it, though. I mean, only murders in the only murders in the building. Friggin' brilliant. Um, I love Doom Patrol, you know, shows like that. Even Stargirl. It's now a CW show. It's super cute, but does some interesting things. But people don't want intelligent media anymore. They want blocky and obvious. They want to know what's an easy right, what's an easy wrong, so they know who to cheer for. It's that sports thing. 
But again, it's all, I want to know the right answer so I don't get kicked out of the collective. What we need to figure out, maybe this is where we can end for, for the episode, is how do we start baby stepping back into actual proper debate where people in go into it not expecting to change their mind but being prepared being willing to change their mind if a viable argument comes their way well the first thing i think is that you can take the edge of the public ridicule of the notion of that being wrong is death because as our friend Epictetus um, used to say, if you want to improve, you have to be content with the thought of being considered foolish and stupid. Mm -hmm. Because only through being wrong most of the time can you learn to be right. And as someone who spent way too much goddamn time learning how to properly apply uh, techniques to digital painting, I can tell you that is absolutely true. <laughs> that's that's what I wanted uh, Hillary Clinton to do in her campaign. I think I may have told you this at the time when people were like, she did this and she did that. And she did. I would have gone out there and said, yeah, I made every single one of these mistakes. And you know what that means? I've oh, already done them. I'm not <laughs> going to do them again. You can't say that about somebody who hasn't got had the experience to make those mistakes. I'm sure they focus tested some sort of response like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm giving that campaign too much credit. It's very possible that, you know, they were too busy constantly having their laptop seized by the FBI. But, <laughs> you know, to me, that is an argument that would have worked on me. I want somebody who's made mistakes and learned from them. We, we reward that a little better in Canada. If somebody actually seems like, yep, mess that up. <laughs> we tend to respect that more, but there's this need for perfection. And I, I still maintain it comes back to that. It was seen as a good thing to affirm to young people that you're perfect just the way you are. You don't have to change for anyone. I think it's give it's left an entire generation of people with really intense imposter syndrome. Instead of sending the message of, no, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know what? Good enough is acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a bigger issue. When I read an article a few weeks back, that was, you know, that, oh, the restaurant industry is so in trouble because of COVID. In that one, I'm a good, you know, restaurant food service practices need reform. And if a bunch of restaurants that aren't well run have to go out of business to fix that industry, I am prepared to take that hit, you know. But mm -hmm. they were talking about this fish market that was getting 30 to 40 applications for a particular job and hiring nobody. It's fucking fish. What, what kind of perfect applicant are you looking for, fish market? Maybe you don't have employees because you're too picky. You know? And this isn't just happening at places like this. There was a, a friend of the family who was applying for this job at 
the the media section of of um, a major bank up mm-hmm. here. And they interviewed, they, you know, they called for references, all that stuff. They ended up just reposting the job. They didn't hire anybody. This is this new thing. They'd rather leave a job open than give somebody a try. It's the whole, it's the perfect is the enemy of the good um, problem. Maybe that's a topic. I think that's very much a topic. Yeah, I'm going to write that down for next week because that is definitely a serious error in thinking a lot of people make. And it's it's leading to people being afraid to make mistakes, among other things. All right, we found a landing point and Mouse has already given an end quote, so I don't know if he's going to have another, but this has been the Broken Clock Podcast on the FU Network, funetwork.tv, PayPal, Patreon, through the site if you want to support our endeavors to uh, sing, dance, and make jokes while giving you a lot of ancient Greek concepts about moral reasoning and critical thinking and a a bunch of other stuff. Just how to make sense of a world that doesn't make sense. So- In other words, Mel Brooks. Oh yeah. Oh (laughs) man, I love me Mel Brooks. I love me Mel Brooks. There's something that, ah, you're getting me. You're getting <laughs> him and what's his name? Tim Conway with the dwarf stuff. Yes. That that was that was gold, man. That was quality. So it wasn't afraid to go for the stupid joke to smooth over the smart stuff. Just right mm-hmm. in my wheelhouse. Okay, so after you've effectively distracted me, Mouse, do you have a, a final <laughs> word? Uh go watch Mel Brooks. All right. You'll learn the word for schnickered. <laughs>